Welcome to That's So Chronic with me, Jess Bryan. For today's Spotlight On episode, I'm talking to Richard Little, and we are shining a spotlight on Exergio, a company that combines neuroscience, engineering, and data analysis to help treat a range of neurological conditions without the use of pharmaceuticals. I first came across Exergio last year when the spin-off shared an article titled Fighting Chronic Pain by Controlling Brainwaves. And I was, of course, immediately intrigued. So when the opportunity came about to chat more about Exergio and in particular about their latest piece of technology, Exxon, I jumped at the chance. Exergio is Latin for I rise, I stand up, and I recover. I thought we were very clever, but I spend my time always explaining that word. Yeah. <laughs> we thought it was a really cool name for a company. This is Richard Little, the chief executive and founder of Exergio. Someone just met you at a dinner party and they said, Richard, what do you do? What would you say to them? They'd probably regret asking me that question because for <laughs> hours. I'm really, I am, I'm in this for a sort of personal reasons. I want to try and help. I'm not a clinician, I'm an engineer, and I want to help drive efficiency into the health system to free up the smart clinicians to do more for their patients. Amazing. Really. And I want to drive good outcomes for the patients. You know, at the end of the day, that's all, that's what it's all about. I was curious what inspired him to start working in this space. So I asked him. It's a long story. So 20 years ago, uh, more than 20 years ago now, I'd actually invested in a medical centre and I've always been interested in things medical, but I was building robots. Cool. And my best friend was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. As a chap with MS, chance of using a wheelchair. His mum had MS and used a wheelchair. We were brought up with that. I, and my mum had a stroke at the same time. And I flippantly said to my friends, let's build you a set of robot legs. And he's an engineer. And we started this very laddish conversation about building robot legs. And we did. We built robot legs. We built a company out of that. We That company was based in Auckland. And we started in 2007 officially as a company. But we actually built a set of exoskeleton legs before that. And we listed it on the stock exchange in the UK in 2014. And that was great. It's a fantastic product. But I actually wanted to do more, in, particularly in the sort of stroke area, because it's such a common thing. It's all neurological rehabilitation, so it doesn't really matter if it's traumatic brain injury or stroke or whatever. But we were interested in that neuro rehab, and we were interested in solving that problem for the expensive devices mm -hmm. and clinics and having to go in and see clinicians and things. Could we build inexpensive devices for patients to take home that would be remotely monitored? So we were doing that in the sort of exercise space, if you like, targeted exercises to drive this neuroplasticity is the name of the phenomenon, but it's really just about rewiring the brain and relearning after an injury or illness or whatever it was. And we were doing that really well. And it had always been our intention to have brain computer interfaces as part of our suite of products, because we had discovered when we were building robots, exoskeletons, that linking people's intention to move with movement with feedback had a good rehabilitative effect. And so we had been involved with brain-computer interfaces for a long time now. So maybe maybe 14 years or something, we've been doing thought control yeah. of robots. And we, you know, we had people with spinal cord injuries at C3 level who were permanently ventilated, but they could get in a machine, think, stand, and they would be able to stand and think, walk, and they'd be able to walk. And that's a very cool demonstration of technology. It has actually quite a reasonable clinical use in a couple of different ways 
but we'd always wanted to link it in with our stroke suite. But we discovered this sort of pain treatment phenomenon along the way, and we have parked all of our other projects yeah. just now. Axon for pain has become so big. Pain is actually the biggest healthcare issue in the world, and that kind of makes sense when you think about it. Everybody goes to the doctor because something hurts. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> how these things work. But one in four people around the world, or one in five people, depending on what numbers you want to pick, have some kind of chronic pain. And a lot of it's lower back pain, you know, and that's yeah. no surprise. But as we live longer and survive things we never survived before, we, you know, we have more aches and pains. And that has a big effect. So we're hitting the yeah. biggest healthcare issue that the world has. Pain is a symptom that I know all too well, and a lot of the guests that have shared their story on That So Chronic know as well. I always find it interesting hearing other people's explanation of what pain is. You know, pain is a noxious signal from your body. Pain is something that you feel in your brain. We don't have pain sensors around our body. Our body senses noxious signals. And pain is a very useful thing because it it directs you to guard or look after a part of your body to give you a warning. We talk about it being a fire alarm. You know, there's, there's an issue here. Do something different to what you're doing just now. And that's really, really useful. Speaking of fire alarms, in a weird twist of fate, the fire alarm in my apartment building went off during our interview, literally minutes after. You have a fire alarm. (laughs) It's finished. Good. Oh my God. Yeah. (gasps) Don't be running down the stairs or jumping out the windows. What is happening? It's not in my house. Sorry, as you were. Chronic pain, on the other hand, is pain which has lasted more than three months and generally more than a sort of four out of ten people will see. And there's no real good reason for it. You know, if you have an ongoing issue, pick arthritis or something, you know you have arthritis. You don't need to be reminded of it constantly. Um, and so they say it has no it has no physiological usefulness, chronic pain. And really what it is, is an oversensitization that happens if we practice anything we get good at it yeah so if you want to learn a musical instrument you pick it up you're not very good at it you do lots of hours you get very good at it it becomes automatic you don't need to think about it it just happens and actually by a twist of of the way that we work we just become better at pain if we have pain on a regular basis we become sensitized to it so that when those noxious signals that were otherwise useful are received now your body becomes sensitized and everything seems like a noxious signal everything is a fire alarm everything is be careful and it's not helping yeah and, and that's really what the pain is and it, it does all sit in the brain that's not to say it's on your head if somebody feels pain it's real pain and yeah. um, but that's where all the processing and everything happens for it and that's therefore where we where we treat that pain we treat the electrical signals associated with it because everything we do is electrical biochemical signals in our brain. Like I mentioned before, Richard and the team at Exergio have been working on a piece of technology called Axon. So what exactly is it and what does it do? What Axon does is it's a brain-computer interface. So it's an EEG or electroencephalogram device. They're used in every hospital around the world every day. So it's the thing that reads electrical activity in your brain. They use it every day for diagnosing you know, epilepsy and sleep disorders and all those types of things. It's a neurological tool people use. And it's a great thing. It's been around for 100 years. It first started in 1924, so it's a well-known technology. First used clinically in 1927 by a German guy called Hans Gerber, who stuck a voltmeter on a kid's head and seen there was an electrical signal. And we've known since the 1850s that the brain's an electrical organ. 
part of the electrical organ. So what our device is, we've just taken that piece of known useful clinical technology and made it smaller and lighter and cheaper and faster and better. Typical sort of entrepreneurial thing, but make it wearable to use today's sort of, you know, <gasps> descriptions. And I'm holding one up on the screen just now. And it's, it's kind of like a skeleton hand that, that lays over the top of your head. It has some little sensors on the bottom of those fingers. And they just pick up that electrical activity through your hair, through your scalp, through your skull, and onto the top of the brain. And they just, you know, really record those signals. And that's all it does. We then interpret those and we, we read the, you know, we, we send the, the signals in real time or near real time to an app and the processing's done on the app, so a phone or a tablet. And we look at those signals and we look at the ones particularly in the sensory motor cortex. So that's, if you put your hand between your ears across the top of your head, that's your sensory motor cortex. And that's the area that drives all of your movement and feels all of the sensations that come back and interprets those, those signals from the rest of the body. And so we're looking in that particular area because that's where you sense these noxious stimuli. And that's where it's interpreting them as pain. And, and the science would say, and it's been known for a long time, that people who have chronic pain have less of some frequencies and more of the others. And there's an imbalance in those signals. And that's that sensitization issue. So if we can change those, then we can change people's perception of pain. So it doesn't, it's not a miracle. It's not like, it's, you know, put the headset on and suddenly you never feel pain again. But I like to think that we, we turn it down to a manageable sort of level. We turn down that chronic side of things and you feel the acute side, the bit you really should feel. And we, we, we kind of restore those normal balances before the, the chronification. And that's my new word, yeah. you know, kind of, <laughs> I'm claiming that one. That's, so that's where that, that we kind of try and reverse that. So what we do is we change those signals back to normal. And we do that by using positive reinforcement. So it's actually quite a passive system okay. in some ways. We're reading the activity, we send it to the app, and when and these signals are moving all the time. And we take a baseline every day when you when you do your session. And we'll talk about the sessions, but every day when you do your session. So it's individualized for that person at that time, at that that hour. And every time the signals move away from pain, we reward the person on the screen on the app. So it's positive reinforcement. It's reward we all like yeah, a reward. i was just about to say we all love a good reward <laughs> we all have a good reward and you know it, it that can be audio and visual and a combination of both and it can be and so what we do is we we play very very simple games on the app and so you know when you when those signals move away from pain you know the, the balloon goes up or the jigsaw comes together or whatever it is they're not very stimulating games it's not call of duty or anything like that it's, um, it is a psychological exercise so there's quite a lot of kind of relaxing into it trying to concentrate what's happening there it can be a little bit tiring for some people some of the time but generally no side effects because it is this passive engagement and if you keep encouraging somebody and of course we do like the reward so your brain makes a connection really with what's happening on the screen and every time you get that reward you, you do it your brain does it again and it does it again and if it keeps repeating that that behavior often enough then it becomes you know becomes the norm again and so over a period of time so we train for half an hour a day okay we say minimum four days a week but we'll you know most people will do five or six days in a week because they enjoy the training as well and if you do that over a period of about eight weeks then you should get 
a reduction in your pain. And like I say, it's not a miracle. It doesn't work for everybody. Not everybody can engage with it. Drugs and things will interfere with it. Conditions will interfere with it. But for the majority of people, they will have a clinically and statistically significant reduction in their pain levels. And that's transformative. You know, at the end of the day, this is what we do it for. Yeah. It's transformative for the patient. And somebody might have, say, 50% reduction in pain or something, but that's not half your pain. That's the difference between not working and working full time yeah. and managing your day. And there's a lot of pain is a biopsychosocial issue, they say. And that's to say that there's a lot of you know, mental health issues that are associated with it, anxiety. I don't, I don't even like using that term with it. There's a lot of anxiety about it. There's a lot of depression associated with it and and poor sleep and things. And, and you would expect that and therefore it affects your quality of life. If you've got pain and you don't sleep, a lack of sleep is a form of torture. Yeah. You don't feel too good. You catastrophize over your pain and go, that's going to stop me doing this today. So you don't do the thing that you love doing. Yeah. And then you're depressed about it. And it's no surprise that that's the kind of, negative spiral that you can find yourself in with pain and just putting the brakes on that and even reversing that a little bit makes really big changes so we usually see sleep is affected first so people will get better sleep so they'll feel a little bit better about that their pain's reduced a bit so they'll do more of those things that they do love so there's less catastrophizing around it and then there's less depression and they will report overall improvements and quality of life because of that yeah and that's it dead easy (laughs) (laughs) and so I'm just thinking that there's probably like there's a lot going on just in the head in general like the skull feels like that's you know a big thing some people have a lot of hair I've certainly got a lot of hair how on earth does something like axon manage to get through all of that and get into those signals yeah to first off you start with a team of really 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 smart people yeah because it is difficult as you say you know different people you know lots of hair i've got no hair that's a different issue my scalp is baked by the sun which is actually quite difficult as well and so none of it's easy you know your skull is is 10 millimeters or a centimeter thick on sort of average so you know that's a pretty thick piece of bone yeah and then you, you have a lot going on. Some people have more than others, but you have a lot going on <laughs> in that head. And so you've got to try and minimize some of that with the training. We get people to sit in a quiet space and they concentrate on the app. And and so there's a, a little bit of quiet time involved there. So that helps reduce that. We do get a lot of interference and signals that we're not interested in there. So there's a lot of filtering and everything goes on, as well as the, being able to acquire those signals, then you need to be able to tidy them up and and everything that we do, every movement of our head, every blink of our eye, th- those muscle movements are actually bigger than the brain signals. And so they tend to override them. Right. And so you have to filter those out. So we have a lot of really smart mathematicians, you know, I would call them, that, that work out all of that filtering. And we're constantly getting better at that. And we, we actually record every session that we do and send that brain data up to our cloud. So that helps us improve that that signaling signal processing all of the time mm-hmm. so we constantly get better and we which i just finished a meeting just now actually where this is fascinating thing in our life is that we've been looking at this patient's data and we've discovered something and and every day is like a new discovery and a new learning we don't always know what to do with it but we but we get better all the time and that's accelerating as we have more patients and as we get further down the track it does tend to be those human stories that 
cause us to you know look deeper into something yeah. you know somebody tells us something and we improve what we do based on that that information we learn what's going on in that information so you know i i had a patient contact us and i have to say i'm not a clinician i'm an engineer but a patient contacted us and they had a particular condition and so we went into the data and we looked at the results we've had with with people there before but i've got a team there you know there's a legal issue about handling people's data so there was somebody representing legal there's a clinical person there there was somebody who's got access to that data to see if that you know if we had made improvements in that particular condition before because we don't want to set expectations we can't meet and then there was me going this is is this something we want to do and it's a little bit out of our norm so it is actually driven by a whole caring team and there's about 20 of us just now but that'll ramp up very very rapidly particularly as we're coming to the end of a large random controlled clinical trial here in Auckland yeah so the Auckland trial it's coming to an end it's it's getting there I think the we have 116 participants is the goal they trained number 93 last week that'll be at 96 this week and we're down to the last one or two one or two participants joining into the system we're over 100 now recruited so yeah that's drawing to a close and um it's pretty exciting for yeah for us I'm pretty excited for the patients too I, suppose. I when I was reading about this trial and I was like putting myself in this situation I was thinking you know man being in the placebo group or whatever I was just imagining myself as a patient in that being like oh my god this acts on thing like it's definitely not working like <laughs> it's just thinking about how wild that must be for the people who that are doing it. Placebo's really interesting. So they don't know. Yeah. You know, so they're blinded. The clinicians don't know so that there can't be any bias. No, yeah. So it's a double blind trial, they call it. So we do have a group of people who are joining up. They do their training. They do everything remotely. Everything's online. The patient does all of this at home. And we, of course, we can see what's happening. So they're, they're supervised by the clinicians. They're supervised by a big team of people, actually. Yeah. But what happens is they, half of the people who are recruited will go into the active group and they will start their training right away and half the people will go into sham control. So it's not placebo in that they're getting nothing. So these people are getting something. They're actually joining the trial. They get all the care and attention from the clinicians. They, you know, their whole case is reviewed. They come on and they engage with the system. So they are doing all of the treatment up until very last part some of that and and a lot of the data that they're seeing is real-time real data so we've we went to extremes to try and make this the best sham that we possibly could and actually across the board as you would expect with a placebo effect we do see people getting good results even in the even in that sham group yeah maybe not as big as they would get in the active group but they do they do get results across the board which is great you know and that's not surprising because they are getting a lot of active treatment in the sham but of course it's not as not as effective as, as doing the, the real treatment and of course ethically it would be terrible to give people a sham and then not give them some yeah. afterwards so they they actually we we question them whether they knew they were in sham or active and then we we have them jump across into the active group and they get the real training and they tend to do very well from that because they're kind of practiced for the last eight weeks so yeah it's not as it's not as we try and make it as less as least horrible as we possibly can yeah. <laughs> to, to be duped and they and everybody knows that when they when they join up that they might be one yeah. or another and there is a common good sort of feeling from the participants as well you know they're helping out and they're keen to do that and keen to, because it 
furthers the scientific knowledge in an area they care an awful lot about you know yeah. so there's a lot of sympathy from that group for for the community at large what's next does it have to get approved by somebody to then suddenly be able to be out in the world well it has quite a lot of approvals already so it's already approved in the u.s mm-hmm. it's approved here in new zealand no we don't really have much of an approval here in new zealand it's registered for use here in new zealand and there's approval other approvals underway but we're all about the science so it's it's constant it's about constantly doing new trials and discovering yeah. more so we actually have a trial kicking off in the nhs in the uk really soon okay. um, and that's in pain and um, we have one in anxiety which is the other area that we're pretty close to at the moment so sort of anxiety depression but but anxiety first that we're really close to and we have a trial kicking off in the uk later this year an anxiety or a series of trials actually so yeah it's always science i we discover something new every day and, we, and the more we understand for me it's just about driving efficacy into the system so yeah. more people get better results really at the end of the day and i guess for clinicians that also gives them a lot more to go by and it sort of enforces that this is a good thing for them as absolutely, well absolutely yeah so i mean the trials are a funny thing because you know the researchers are there to research and whenever you do any research they go oh, but we need to do more research yeah. <laughs> never finish the job but there is a threshold that that satisfies clinicians or regulators or whoever it is that you've done what you need to have done to prove this thing yeah. is is does what it says in the box and that's right you want that as a patient you know you want to know that somebody's selling you something that is safe and it's efficacious and it you know there's always risks with medical things there's very few with axon but you know there's a process that you go through and it's the same process for everybody in it, and that's great it does drive costs up because it means we have to carry a lot of people to to manage all of that stuff but it's but it's a good process so we're very happy with all of that but you never quite finish your trials because there's always a bit at the end where they say and we need to do more trials and because this is such a new field in some ways in some ways it's been around for a long time but we're unpicking this language of the brain i like to think so that's going to be you know I can see 10 years worth of work in front of us without even thinking about it. Yeah. Would the goal be to have the axon in people's homes? Or I'm just thinking about how EEG equipment is in hospitals and how expensive that can yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. It's So this is, you know, this is our driver is we care very much about our customers. And our customers are the clinicians and the patients. And whatever we do has to fit into their lives. Yeah. Um, I've seen some amazing, medic, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years now and I've seen some amazing medical equipment sitting in the corner of a lab somewhere and it's brilliant. And and it's just, you can see the doctor going, I'll do that tomorrow, I'm too busy yeah. today, I'll get to it tomorrow. And the training's difficult and the machinery's complicated and it's expensive and there's just a whole load of barriers. So it doesn't fit in that, that doctor's life. And, and of course, if you've got chronic pain, getting to regular clinic, appointments and all the rest it can be a real challenge with everything else you've got going on in your life not just pain but also families and (laughs) everything else that we've you know we're all busier than we maybe once were and and so finding time to go to clinics doesn't work really if if you can avoid it and so for us it was about making this really seamless for the clinician so that they can prescribe this for their patient they can track their patients remotely they can minimize the amount of patient time in the system so what happens with chronic pain now is that you know the the clinicians describe it as harrowing to me it's a word that comes up quite a lot because they became a doctor to help their patients and with chronic pain there is no real end solution for a lot of it so you're not able to 
you know, completely help in a way that you might like to. So you're always sort of challenged as a clinician. And so we want to make it easier for them as well. And the, the chronic pain patients are quite often then bounce around in the healthcare system from specialist to specialist. And it doesn't suit anybody, doesn't suit them, doesn't suit the doctors, doesn't find a solution and costs a whole load of money. So our idea was that if we can have the patient treated at home, then that would best suit everybody. So long as the clinician can remotely, yeah. you know, monitor their progress and their safety and all of those other things. And actually in some ways feel closer to their patient than they're just at home and you don't see them because getting to the clinic's a real problem or the hospital or whatever. So having that remote access actually gives them a lot more visibility than they once had before. Um, and we've uncovered a lot of difficulties that patients might be having that have reported through our system, through the app, back to the clinician that they might not otherwise have, have yeah. mentioned. So we've, we've had some good results that way. And then using the device at home was just a must for us and being as inexpensive as you can make these things. Now, none of, nothing in medical is cheap, yeah. you know, <laughs> but we've tried to make that as, as accessible as we possibly can. So every single, and, and COVID actually helped and I feel terrible for all the people that had a bad time, but for us, it actually helped us out a lot. We we went to start our first trial in the UK at the first lockdown there. And we had planned to take patients into the clinic and train them in the clinic and do their initial treatments there. And then we would move into home, but we'd still have this clinic engagement and we couldn't do it. So we just moved everything to online and into the patient's home. And actually that's worked really well for us because it's just made it very accessible they can do it at the time that suits them you know in the comfort of their own home and they like the treatment you know our patients like that little half hour quiet time they'll go and find a quiet spot they'll sit down they'll engage with their app they, they can feel the benefit often in that even in that single session that they're doing and it's a bit of a relaxing time and so it's quite addictive actually. yeah become quite addicted to their headset and it's very straightforward it was interesting we thought there's quite a lot of things to do you've got a headset and you've got to charge it or change the batteries in this one you've got to have your tablet charged you've got to have a stand you've got to find quiet space but actually the patient said it's it's so much easier than remembering things or remembering which pills at which time and yeah. trying to engage with all that stuff you just drop your headset on look at your app for half an hour and you're done and dusted with your pain treatment and it's like it's very straightforward so we're we're incredibly pleased with the results mm -hmm. of that and most people after they've done their initial treatment our patients tend to have this chronic pain as a secondary complication of some other condition so arthritis or fibromyalgia or something along those lines migraines we see a lot of and so we don't always fix those things we're not going to fix your arthritis so you've still got arthritis yeah. but if we can turn that pain down to normal and that that makes makes a difference for the patient and they because it's still an ongoing issue we don't want the pain to chronify again yeah so again my word <laughs> uh, so we they top up and they'll tend to do one or two sessions a week and continue with those top ups sort of indefinitely and just stay on top of their pain and sort of manage it like they would manage a breakthrough medication where they go the weather's bad and my arthritis is always bad when the weather's bad i'm just going to do an extra top up yeah. or i can feel a, a bit of an episode coming on or i'm being under some stress i'll just do a top up and people tend to manage it themselves from then on we don't prescribe when they should take it they take it when they need it i can only imagine what the feeling must feel like when you spend hours and hours developing a piece of tech it goes through patient trials 
And then the feedback and the results start rolling in. Richard says it's almost impossible to put that feeling into words. But it's the reason that him and his team get out of bed in the morning and continue to work in this space. It's the most amazing part about what we do is the changes to these human stories. So they don't just say it works. They say it works and I'm back riding a horse again or, yeah. <laughs> or something equally as crazy. And then, then you cringe and go, maybe you shouldn't be riding the horse with your chronic pain. But, you know, the fact they're able to do that and we gave them that back is is an amazing feeling. You know, it, it's the most important thing that we do is change those human stories. But I don't know how you'd put that into words, you know. I think you did a pretty good job just then. It's what drives the team as well. It's not just, it's not me. Yeah. It's there's There's a team of people who come here and work harder than they would otherwise because of what we're doing. If you're listening to this podcast and you have an idea to make change in the medical industry, this is some advice from Richard. Don't go get a proper job. It's so much less stress. Um, <laughs> no, I, you know, this this is a difficult journey. It's a journey that you, you need help with. So yeah. depending where that person would be, like in New Zealand, we have, you know, Callahan Innovation who are kind of government R&D people who are able to direct you in the direction of all the things that you will need um, to build a business. Building businesses is statistically it's very difficult and most fail and so there's everything in the world stacked against you so you need to have that passion and drive to make something like this succeed and you need to be a little bit crazy as well. <laughs> If you're interested in finding out more about Exergio and the work Richard is doing, make sure you head to their website, exergio.com. So keep an eye on the website and register details on the website and we send out a newsletter every month and we'll tell people when trials are in their area or devices are becoming available. So they're not readily available right now. They will be post this this trial, post sort of September time. You'll start to see them coming onto the market in different places. And of course, we, we have to grow the company and raise more money and get into production and all of that sort of stuff to to be able to meet that demand there's an awful lot of demand um, for these things and yeah we can't meet it all just now which is also a little bit saddening so on the other side of the the helping people is we can't help everybody we can't help everybody now which is a little bit depressing but you know, we can't yeah. solve all the problems, so we're just trying to solve the ones we can. So, yeah, keeping an eye out on the website is the best thing to do. And, of course, all of the details will be in the show notes. Amazing. Thank you so much, Richard. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of That's So Chronic. Every Tuesday, we share stories from incredible people from around the world that are living with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries, or potentially disastrous diagnoses. Or we share deep dive episodes, a little bit like the one you're listening to right now, about everything and anything that's in our That's So Chronic world. Make sure you've pressed follow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, leave a review if you enjoyed this episode, and I'll see you next week.